Today's episode is sponsored by Tego. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tego and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hi everyone. On today's episode, we have some colourful language. So if you don't want your kids to hear those words, consider listening through some headphones. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the part two anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And today's episode is I'm Still Standing, where we'll discuss how to come back from a poor exam outcome with special guest interviewees, Dr. Raymond Casey and Dr. Aaron McDonald. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So today, rather than introduce our guests, we're going to let them introduce themselves and we're going to listen to their stories. Mm. So firstly, Raymond, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Raymond. I originally trained as a geologist and I became a doctor and then an anaesthetist. And I worked in Rockhampton. I practiced general anaesthetics, a full-time private, and I do a couple of private lists. I'm a supervisor of training and an education officer for ANSCO. Fantastic. Very busy. Do you finish? Do you manage to fit any geology in around that these days? Or no, I've given that up. <laughs> I've actually <laughs> just done a graduate diploma in applied statistics. So. Oh wow! I'm very busy. All right. Wow. And Aaron, thank you as well for joining us. Can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Hi everyone. Thanks for having me to talk about this very important topic. I'm a consultant anaesthetist at Rockhampton Base Hospital, and I'm a relatively new fansker. I trained in the Auckland region and I have interest in perioperative medicine, simulation and welfare. I love to travel and was lucky enough to work in Gibraltar for a year and a half as a fellow and travel through Europe just before COVID. Gibraltar. Wow. And living there for a year was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Strange side, But yeah, no, it's great. What so else? Yeah, now, sorry, I briefly interrupted you. Sorry. What else? Um, <laughs> what else can you tell us about yourself, Aaron? <laughs> um, so I came to Rockhampton because I enjoy being a generous anaesthetist. It's the collegial department here and the benefits of living in a regional centre. And the motivation for me being here is that I found that failing an exam difficult and I want to try and help by explaining how I got through it and also how I felt about it at the time compared to how I feel about it now. Fantastic. That's really great. I think this is really important. So Thank you both for joining us and for being so candid and discussing your experiences because even well into consultancy, a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that or won't do that. So a while ago on Deep Breast, we had a conversation with a medal winner about her approach to exam study and preparation, but not everyone has the same positive experience that Anna had with sitting exams. So we're going to take a look at another experience and a, a different way of achieving the same outcome. Mm. So um, Raymond, can you give us a bit of background regarding your exam journey? Yeah, so I set the part two exam three times. Mm-hmm. Starting in October 2015, then May 2016, and then October 2016. So 
from how my journey goes, I passed my primary within nine months of joining the program. Oh, wow. So I had a long chunk of time, like three or four years where I wasn't doing much studying and life was happening. And when I did start to study again, there was a lot going on. I was building a house, living with my in-laws, had a young child. Uh, and obviously just the stresses of working in a, in a job like that. And mm-hmm. so I wouldn't say my preparation was the best. Having listened to that other podcast, I was preparing. I didn't really do. I was just attending part two and trying to get my MCQs done and my short answer questions done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first exam, every exam I made it to the Viva. And the first exam I failed on the Viva. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to go straight at it again and probably should not have sat that attempt yeah but I didn't so I had a bit of life happen there mm. I was stubborn and I failed and I also moved out of my in-laws the week before the exam oh gosh and then I managed to pass the viva that time but failed the MCQ quite spectacularly mm. uh, and then the last time I passed it all, so I can't tell you where I passed or failed or anything like that. Um, mm. In both of my first two attempts, my medical viva was a really big weak spot. And overall, it wasn't fun. And it's, if I were to be honest, it's probably, I don't feel I completely recovered for probably two two years afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think we all underestimate just how much of an impact this is on our high-functioning lives. That's understandable. Now, Aaron, how did your journey compare to Raymond's? So, yeah, definitely listening to Raymond, there's a lot of things that felt kind of similar to me. I think we can't really separate our lives from exam lives. And I think they are really hard exams. Like you can't kind of go around that the the most difficult exams you're going to face and then if other things in your life happen at the same time the exam isn't very good at kind of accommodating for that I sat in the first the final exam the first half of 82 and passed in the second half of 82 Mm -hmm. failed on the Viva performance mainly and quite spectacularly on the on the the Viva performance Mm -hmm. Um, I did very well in the medical Viva so very different from Raymond in that respect together perfect team yeah (laughs) yeah it's just interesting isn't it comparing contrasting your experiences and I think that theme of the inability to separate your personal as from the professional is ongoing as well throughout our careers and and it just begins with the exam which is such a disruptive huge you know huge thing to go through yeah so Raymond, during the preparation, we're kind of going to go back to the time of the exam without causing PTSD, hopefully. Um, But preparing for this conversation, you mentioned that you'd had a bad experience during your Viva exam to us. And could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, so this is probably the, so, you know, I think it works out. I have sat 24 Vivas. Oh, that's a lot of Vivas. Yeah. (laughs) And so this is, this is interestingly the first run. So because when you, when you fail, you get an interview Mm -hmm. uh, and they'll tell you your scores. So the only people who know they've how they've done it, the people who do really won it well and win a medal, and the people who failed. Mm, yeah. Everybody else, you have no idea if you were close or not, which is one of the things that if you're taking advice off people, just be aware of. Yeah. That. Mm. Um, so I did a my first Viva run. 
uh, the first, so it was five stations, and the first station uh, was the rest station. So I had a good time to get keyed up and mm. all nervous. <laughs> really get that adrenaline going. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first station, it wasn't too bad. It was um, it was a demo about an obese man who was coming for the lap collie because he had a pancreatitis a week ago. And you were the duty anesthetist, and you saw the advanced trainee. And he was just going to take him in for that collie. And you saw that maybe this guy might have a goiter and wasn't breathing well. Mm. And what happened there was that at the time, there was that paper out of Melbourne where they were, had done all those, the thyroid things. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's okay to intubate. Don't bother with the awake fiber optic. But the important caveat on that, piece of pa- on that paper was that didn't include obese patients. Mm. Oh, okay. And so I said... At the time, yeah, I would just get a C-Mac or something and slam it in or yep. whatever. Not like that. But, mm. um, and Delicately. she was like, would you, consider, <laughs> would you consider it an awake fiber optic? And I'm like, no. And then she was like, well, you're doing an awake fiber optic. Oh, gosh. Okay. And so I, you know, explained the awake fiber optic and that was fine. And so I, overall, I scored a four on that. But then I went to read the next stem and I was just didn't get over that mistake and I was just kicking myself. Yeah. So that was a more complex case of lap appendix with a person with uh, Fontaine circulation. Oh. And that was a big, oh, that was a, I managed to score a two on that. So the, the last bit of the last thing they asked me before time went out. So the, with the Fontaine circulation, uh, it was like 10 seconds to go. I hadn't been doing really well. And I've probably gotten to the end of the viva, but not because I've been good, but because I've been so terribly bad. So it was a 20-year-old female, and they were like, oh, the pregnancy test comes back positive. Mm. Oh, gosh. And I was just like, I didn't ask if they were pregnant. Mm. I wouldn't, you know, kind of completely slipped my mind. And so I go into this next viva, reading the stem, going, you made a fourth-year medical mistake. How could you do that? How could you be so stupid? And so it didn't really grasp what should have been a reasonably solid fiber. Mm. And I with a three on, you know, it's something you deal with every day. It's a NOF, heart disease, yeah. a bit of AFAF, AF, easy to control. Mm. The only issue I have with it, I think, is under one of them, my judgment or something, it says that I use too little propofol or something. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and I'm like, well... That's what I use, and it works. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. So you, you oh. felt like the psychological oh. impact of, you know, you, you struggled to move on from a bad yeah. fiber, basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then it just compounded. And so at the end of that viva there, I knew, you know, I knew it had gone pretty bad. And prior to the this exam, we had sat down with a retired examiner and with two other trainees, and he had given us some vivas. And he was telling us what he would score us. And he was like, yeah, I'll give you a five mm. or a six. And, and these are the people I was with were really good as well. And I was just like, okay, well, there's no possible way I can recover from this. Yeah. Mm. I'm just going to give up and take this for practice. Mm. So I walked into the next one. I was just like, oh, whatever. I'll just say what I want. Do what I want. And I scored an eight. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And that was just a really interesting one with, it was just a straightforward peripartum hemorrhage where you were at home and you had to make a decision to come in. And it was, they were like the reg calls you and 
and your registrar is saying that the obstetric registrar is saying that they can't see they can't see any bleeding or previa or clot in the uterus. And I was just like, so so how well trained is this obstetric registrar? And the guy was like, Oh, they're first year too. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I was like, Well, that's it. I'm coming I'm getting the fuck in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. And yeah, and that just that was by the time it was finished, it was easy. Yeah. You know, mm. and it went and I think just the ability to relax and get out your yeah. knowledge is yeah. really important. Yeah. So those are those are my experiences. Mm. And the I can't really remember the next set of four, but I didn't do enough to pass yeah. the vibe of it. Mm. I think overall I think I, I needed one more extra point. Wow. So if I had done a white fiber optic on that large band, Gosh. I would have been okay. Gosh. But, that's hard. It's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting. I've I've actually had this conversation with a few people who have had practice vivas that have gone badly and they've been serialized vivas is as a replication of, you know, exam conditions. And consistently I think everyone says, you know, you get told by people that you have to be able to shake off a bad viva. But the reality of actually doing that is so much harder. It's so hard. Yeah, so I've so part of my in-between is I saw a psychologist and we were talking about it. And the bit of advice he gave me is you really, if you're picturing yourself in the hospital and you're doing this, what you have to say is you've handed that patient over to ICU or somebody more experienced and you've done everything you can for that patient. Yeah. The outcome is set and that you're going to really, you really need to help this next patient. And to try to think of it that way mm. rather than the bad fiver, if you take it on board as it's real yeah, and say, I've done everything I can for that patient, this next patient really needs my help. Yeah, mm. that's fantastic advice. I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, It's a somewhat artificial scenario, though, in the sense that often in real life, you know, like if we have a bad anaphylaxis or something, we often have 10, 15 minutes to sit down and have a little yeah. relax and let yeah. the nervous system calm down. But you don't get that yeah. luxury in a fiver, do you? Aaron, and how about you? Like how how does your experience compare and contrast to what Raymond's just told us? So I think the, the thing that I can really relate to is having a bad vibe or, or an examiner you feel is, is kind of being un, uh, maybe being unfair. And so one of the things when I give trainees vibers just before, well, long enough that they're kind of, it's not too close to the exam, yeah. I try and replicate that scenario. And Fine. the scenarios were pretty similar. It was a simple case. It was a relatively simple massive transfusion on a shark attack. But he, my massive transfusion protocol was not the same as his and we, we didn't move past anything and he kept mm. on picking on different things. And that really shook me. So I think it's really important to practice those kind of difficult scenarios because everyone tells you that you're not going to have a difficult examiner. But if you don't get on well and they don't think mm. that you know, mm. or, you know it, it can happen. So I think it's really important to practice. Mm. But I think my scenario was, was a bit different. I felt that the written and medical vibe had kind of gone okay. And then I found the uh, practicing vibes was difficult because for me, I felt I, because I was in advanced training about to sit the exam, that I should be independent with nearly everything and know everything. Mm -hmm. And because I'm quite a, was a quite a self-critical person, mm -hmm. every time I did a viva and I was getting negative feedback, it kind of fed into the cycle that, oh, 
I'm not good at my job. So I started yeah. to feel, um, you know, while I was comparing, just at the wrong wrong time. Mm. And, it, you know, this wasn't consistent with feedback that I was kind of getting. It was just kind of, that's one of my kind of weaknesses. Mm. The, the centre I was at was a high workload centre, had more primary exam candidates. Uh, it was hard to get vivas. Everyone was really, really busy. Yeah. I didn't have a strong study group. We weren't doing a regular viva session together. So I think, you know, for me, it was it was that kind of prep. I wasn't prepared. I hadn't done enough vivas. Looking back at it, and I think the important thing to think, that wasn't clear to me at the time. It took a lot of navel-gazing to realise that that was the problem. It wasn't like I was going into the exam wanting to fail or yeah. thinking that I was unprepared. But mm. you reflect on it and, yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't actually heard too many people mention how their viva kind of practice viva experience being given negative feedback feeding back into their clinical yeah. self-esteem so that's really interesting because I'm sure you're not the only person to have experienced that and I'm sure some people can separate them but there's a lot of people that can't and that's just so because that's also like another thing just playing on your mind when you already have so many things yeah. going through your head yeah enough going yeah. through your mind as it is yeah yeah that's really fascinating thank Goodness. you for sharing that so so obviously you both made it through this first exam experience unsuccessfully. How did you then deal with this? So sort of separate to what actually happened in the exam, how did you manage the emotional aspects of this? How did you go about returning to work? Mm. What actually what actually happened? So I failed that first one in Sydney. How did I find out? You, um, I opened the envelope. Oh, shit. And then I uh, I just had a lonely walk back from the Olympic Stadium mm. to my hotel. Mm. I walked out of way, saw that they were hiring, seriously considered it, and went up and went to bed. And the next day I went out to Manly and I bought some rollerblades, which wasn't a great idea because I went home to Christchurch and just minding my own business, rollerblading on the side of the road and uh, fell over. Mm. And the car pulls up and it's one of my consultants. Oh, no. And so that was probably more embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I felt really angry. Yeah. Mm. I, had, was, I had the same examiner twice, one in the Medviva, where it was a bad oh. experience, and then uh, another time in that Viva session. I don't think he didn't examine me, but he was an observer or something. I was very angry felt stupid and it just took me a while to get over that and when I went to work it was actually really positive good everybody who had failed I got a lot of hugs I got a lot of people there was a lot of support from everyone Mm. asking me if I'm okay do I need anything make sure I had study time um Mm. they sent me on another part two course they I had a meeting with the head of department who was uh, just said I was a good anesthetist, so I didn't have to, that nobody was concerned about the mm. clinical aspects mm. of my work. Mm. Same with the SOT. I mean, so from the support side, it was great. From the life side, it was terrible because mm. it was another months of studying. Mm. Yeah. It was another, you know, having to put up on my wife, my in laws, that sort of thing. And from a psychological point of view, it's it's not the first time I have failed anything. I managed to fail grade seven French. Um, so it was, <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> it wasn't like I hadn't had a similar experience. 
um, and I had failed a lifeguard teaching course at one point as well. Mm, um, understandable. We've all been there. Yeah, Kate and I would probably um, fail that too. So. <laughs> uh, it wasn't. It was from that point of view. It was fine. Mm. Like I, I, to get over the idea that I could fail was pretty reasonable because I think I was went into the vivas having had a disastrous med viva that yeah. I was thinking mm. it was going to be. Uh, and so I think I, that bit was okay. Mm. And then the second time, that was way worse, way worse, because I was pretty confident I'd passed. Mm. I changed everything. But luckily, the department I worked with was still very supportive. They, were, they delayed my professional fellow job for me. But uh, that next six months or three or four months was a really difficult slog. Look, I hate to interrupt the conversation at this point, but we've actually run out of time. So thank you both so much for joining us thus far on such an important topic. And we will continue our discussion on part two of this episode. Well, it's been an insightful discussion on today's episode of Deep Breaths. As always, you can contact us on deepbreathspod at gmail.com for episode suggestions, feedback, or just to say hi. Provisional fellows and consultants, don't forget to claim your CPD for listening in. We'll see you again in a fortnight. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths. Deep Breaths.